All right. Um, so we are going to be in um, the next section of Matthew today, Sermon on the Mount. Um, so verses 33 through 37. Um, so if you're somebody, this is on oath. So if you're somebody who says, uh, I swear to God, such and such, such, or I swear by all things that are holy. Anybody say that? I don't know. People say that though, right? Uh, if you do, this sermon's for you. But I think it's going to be for, uh, for all of us as well. So we'll, we'll dive into it. Um, I'm going to pray first, though. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our church. Um, thank you for the body of believers who are here. Um, we thank you for your, your calling on their lives, for the ministry that you've set forth for them. Um, we thank you for 40 Days of Life and the great ministry that they're doing. Um, and I do pray for us this morning as we hear your word. I pray that uh, my mouth can put forth what you want to convey to all of us today. Um, Lord, I, I pray that we would have your heart in all of this, ultimately, um, and that our, our hearts would be transformed um, through the Holy Spirit into who you want us to be and what you want us to say and how you want us to put ourselves out there. Help us to be more like you. So um, thank you for this section and thank you that you brought it or bringing it for us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So I'm gonna read it uh, again. Cha uh, Matthew chapter five, verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, again, you have heard, it, heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank Mike for not uh, putting me on to uh, tackle last week's subjects of lust and divorce. Glad he took those. Uh, I got something eh, a little, little easier to to manage on, on uh, taking vows and oaths. So, um, but I don't think I can completely ignore uh, those subjects either. Um, I do believe there is a reason uh, Jesus goes from the issues of lust and adultery and divorce straight into the swearing of oaths. Um, as you know, marriage involves making oaths and vows to each other uh, till death do us part, right? Um, so there is, I think, a tie-in here to um, commitments that you're making. So uh, let's jump into it. Uh, first thing I want to do, though, is, is kind of go back and, and uh, you know, Jesus says, again, you have heard it said. Well, that means people have said <laughs> these first things. You shall not swear falsely. So where, where is he getting that from, right? So I want to kind of go back to uh, the Old Testament and read a few scriptures in the Old Testament as it relates to uh, the swearing of oaths. And we, we really can start with the Ten Commandments. Uh, one of the uh, commandments or relates to this. So in Exodus 20, um, we have the first command is, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So the first two commandments uh, relate to worshiping God and worshiping him only. Then we come to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So take the name here really means to lift up. Uh, And in vain here means falsely. So another way to put this command is um, is to not invoke the name of the Lord for something that is untrue. So this passage doesn't say what the punishment would be, but we we do know that in Deuteronomy we read that uh, certain false prophets who spoke falsely under God's name were put to death. So this is a serious matter. Telling the truth when using God's name is is a serious matter. And if you don't, there is potentially death uh, to those those false prophets in the Old Testament at least. Uh, So then we come to Leviticus 19. So here we have um, Yahweh God giving Moses further instructions to the people of Israel. Uh, And as part of that in verse 12, he says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So God here is saying, if you take an oath to tell the truth or to commit to a course of action and you invoke the name of God as part of that oath, you better live up to it. It's like saying, in the name of God, I swear what I'm saying is true. So if then what you say is not true, you are defaming God because there is no falsehood in God. God cannot be a part of falsehood. So you're defaming the name of, the, the name of God. Okay, uh, Numbers 30, uh, verses one through two. Uh, Moses here again passes along God's message to Israel. He says, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So again, God says through Moses that if you make a vow or a promise to do or not do something and you invoke the name of the Lord or somehow otherwise pledge yourself to it, you shall fulfill your promise. More scripture, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. Moses gives here further laws uh, related to making vows or oaths. Verse Starting verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So here, we see that making vows is a voluntary action. You don't have to do it. But if you do, again, according to the Old Testament, according to God's word to, the, to, the, to Israel, um, it's a voluntary action. These aren't promises forced on anyone. But again, if a vow is made and the name of the Lord is invoked, you must fulfill that vow or else you defame the Lord. Make sense? God keeps his promises. You must too when you invoke the name of God. 
Otherwise, you're sinning against him. So one more, one more passage in the Old Testament. This one comes from uh, Ecclesiastes 5, uh, 4 through 7. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So here we have a situation where someone vows to make a sacrifice for the Lord, uh, probably in return for a blessing. But if you do that, you should pay what you vowed. Don't later say it was a mistake. Again, when you vow to the Lord, fulfill it. So that's all good stuff, right? Makes sense. Do what you say you would do. Fulfill your vows. All good. This is your duty as a follower of God. Um, so why we have in our passage, you know, saying maybe vows aren't, aren't necessarily a good thing. Well, I think in general, vows are a good thing. I think making oaths potentially are a good thing. In fact, for society in general. Uh, in fact, in society, we have all sorts of examples where um, we enter into vows or oaths and they have great practical benefits to people and society in general. And I, I, I've got a few examples. Certainly marriage, uh, we make vows. Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, those of us who are married make a vow to our spouses to have and to hold for richer or poorer, sickness and health, until death do us part, right? It's good things. Marriages that stick through the inevitable difficulties of life and vital, uh, of life are, are vital to the flourishing of society, not just to the husband and wife, but to society in general. We also have vows uh, in, in laws and, and governance in our society. So in ordered, ordered democratic societies, the citizens vote in leaders Right? and laws and consent to be governed by these, uh, these leaders and laws. And in, in the United States, specifically, we have the Constitution, and we elect these leaders in, and they must vow to uphold the Constitution. Right? It's a good thing. Any laws must not be, that they make must not violate that Constitution. And as citizens, we essentially vow not to break the laws. And if we break them, we have to deal with the consequences fines, jail time, whatever it is. A witness in court must vow to tell the truth, right? Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I don't think they make you swear in a Bible anymore. I think that has gone away, but you at least must affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, the truth being told and stated in court is imperative to a proper justice system, right? So these vows in the areas of law and governance lead to society's flourishing. We have the business world. The business world is full of vows or oaths. We don't call them that. We refer to them as, as contracts, right? So everything in the business world has contracts. Um, so I, one of my two favorite courses in, in college, I was a business major, uh, accounting ultimately, but I uh, took a bunch of business courses. Um, and I went to Seattle Pacific, so Christian college. 
And two of my favorite courses there, the two favorite courses were uh, New Testament, Introduction to the New Testament, um, and uh, Business Law. And the nice thing with this sermon is I'm actually getting to deal with both of those things. So, <laughs> preaching out of the New Testament and I got a little, little law coming in. So, what I loved most about business law was actually contract law. And most of us enter into voluntary contracts every day, whether you think about doing so or not. So, if you go to any retail store or restaurant, you buy something, you've entered into a contract. When you go to the checkout line, at Fred Meyer, let's say, you buy a gallon of milk, you are contractually agreeing with Fred Meyer to swap $4 in exchange for a gallon of milk, right? You think about it that way? When you go to Red Mill Burgers, your huge contract with Red Mill Burgers to exchange $10 for a delicious hamburger, right? These are contracts. In fact, these contracts are memorialized. That that paper or emailed receipt that you get after you pay is written evidence of a contract. So, of course, there's many other examples of contracts, a lot of which are more complicated than my examples. Rental contracts, mortgage agreements, signing up for apps on your phone. You always have to sign a contract, terms and agreements, right? The list goes on. If you work for a business, you enter into contracts. Um, if you're an employee, you've entered into an employment contract. All these contracts have remedies for each party's failure to meet its obligations under the contract. It doesn't do any good for a contract to spell out what each party will do without some kind of consequences for failure to perform. So this system of contracts, or business vows, we could even call them, with stated terms, conditions, and remedies for breach is integral to a well-ordered and efficient economy, right? So we deal with these all, all the time. And I think church, too, we have vows. So I believe being a part of a local church like Calvary Wallingford here means making vows to your fellow believers in the church. I think we've all entered into a covenantal relationship in a way here as, as uh, believers here in this church. You're agreeing to use your spiritual gifts in the service of God and others. Uh, we vow to care for and minister to those in need at the church. Um, we also vow to cheerfully and sacrificially give financially as well. So these vows are important for the health and flourishing of our church. So what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus getting at? We'll come now to our, our New Testament passage. Why does Jesus need to bring this up? Well, apparently, the scribes and the Pharisees had taken oath-making and breaking to an art form. We get a picture of this later as we get through Matthew. When we come to chapter 23, verses 16 to 22. We'll, we'll read about that months <laughs> down the road. Who knows? Uh, Matthew 23. But uh, essentially, what had happened is the Pharisees and the scribes had, had uh, taken the laws of oath-making we read about in the Old Testament, and added rules about which oaths were binding or not binding. So in one example, um, this is, you won't find this in, in the Old Testament, but you'll, you do find this in uh, extra-biblical laws that came out of, of Jewish society then. 
that if you swore an oath by Jerusalem, you were not bound to that oath. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, then you were bound to the oath. Another, another example, whoops, falling apart here. There we go. In another example, if you swore by the temple, the oath was not binding. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, then you certainly had to follow through on that one. Okay? So these and other examples would have you believe that oath-making, would have oath-making being reduced to promising something with your fingers crossed behind your back. Right, little kids? Yeah, I promise I didn't do that. (laughs) It's childish. So in that context, Jesus says in verse 33, Again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is what we've been talking about so far. You know, do what you say you will do. But then he goes on again, verse 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Notice how you refer to Jerusalem there? Kind of goes back to that, what I was saying about that extra biblical law, people swearing by Jerusalem. He's saying, don't do that. So Jesus here is talking to his followers about a character of the heart. Of course. If we take a step back, for all the good that vows could have, there's one big problem with them. It's the whole reason vows are made in the first place. The vows are only made because we otherwise couldn't be trusted to do do what we say we would do. So presumably, if we didn't make a vow and invoke that name of God or something deemed holy, and we just merely said, I'll do this or that, then we really are free to break the vow without much thought or suffering any consequences. But perhaps an even deeper issue is what an oath by something holy does to the person to whom the oath is directed. Jesus knew that people making oaths were really just trying to impress others with their sincerity and their reliability and cut off any questioning of what they were saying. It manipulates a hearer to make them believe you. You aren't honoring them. It shuts off the dialogue because, well, I guess if you swear by all that is holy, if you swear by God, what can I say back to that? We shouldn't even have to get to that place. Our words should always correspond to who we really are. So again, Jesus, as he does time and again, he cuts to the heart. He doesn't want us merely to not commit murder, 
He wants us to not have anger in our heart. He wants us to not merely not, merely not commit adultery. He wants us to not commit it in our heart. And here, he doesn't want us to merely do what we have contractually and avowedly said we would do. He wants us to have such integrity of character that we can be trusted without an oath or a vow or a contract. So this really comes down to interpersonal relationships. Again, I'm, contracts are great. Marriage vows are great. But what about us? What about within our families? What about just the everyday times we say something, that we're going to do something or not do something? It comes down to character. When we say yes to something, it should be as good as done. When we say no to something, it will not happen. And letting our yes be yes and our no be no is not just because we are duty-bound to have integrity. This ought to come from a natural outflow of our heart. We want to have integrity because our heart compels us toward it. Jesus wants us to be a kind of people where our heart is longing for truth and openness and honesty integrity. This is a reflection of our creator God. Why? Because he never fails to do what he says he will do. Right? It's his character. That's who he is. He will always let his yes be yes. He will always let his no be no. We should be emulating him. So how does this play out practically? Well, ask yourself, am I trustworthy? Do I commit to something and not carry it out? Yeah, honey, I'll mow the lawn this weekend. Boss, I'll finish that project at work by Friday. Teacher, I'll turn that homework in tomorrow. I manage teams in my office and our projects always have deadlines. I'm always working off deadlines. And I've experienced many times, numerous, too numerous to count, where a staff person will tell me they'll, they'll complete a, a project task by a, a certain day and they don't. And they don't bother to tell me that they won't complete it on time. And then I usually have to approach them and ask, you know, hey, what's, what's the status of this task? And the answer is usually, well, they got busy on something else, but they'll get it done at a later date. And maybe that later date will be fine, or maybe it won't. But the issue is that they said they would do something, and they didn't. And at that point, can I really trust them that it will be done by the later date? So what does it come down to? Again, it's a character issue. Jesus wants us to imitate him to be trustworthy. Do what you say you will do. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the natural thing to do. He wants our trustworthiness to be the natural outflow 
of a heart transformed by the Holy Spirit. So where is your hearts? Where is our hearts, church? Do we want to emulate him? Are we emulating him? Are we trustworthy? Do you feel like you have to put on a front every time you're in front of somebody and swear by God that you'll do something or swear by something holy or do you even make vows when you don't say that and you don't follow through? So where's your heart, church? Do we want to be like Jesus? I do. That's all I got this morning. Fairly short. I'm going to pray for us. Mike's going to come up and finish with some songs. Yeah. Yeah. Can I borrow that stool? Yes, you may. I will stand. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us through this, to be people of character. Lord, we thank you for this passage this morning. We thank you that, first and foremost, that you are truth. You are goodness. You are beauty. And we want to walk in truth. We want your Holy Spirit to to dwell in us and to lead us down the right path. Lord, we want our yes to be yes. We want our no to be no. We, We don't want to put on fronts. We don't want to try to impress others with our sincerity. But instead, we want to live a life that's open and honest and truthful in all of our relationships, whether that's our marriages, our family life, our life together as a church body. I pray that we can be open with each other. I pray that as we have made vows here to commit to each other as a church, to do life together, to serve each other that we do so willingly and that we do so in love we do so in truth without pretense so we ask for humility and all that we pray too for our relationships outside of the body outside of our marriages in our workplaces in our interactions with non-believers Lord, we pray that through our actions, through our relationship with non-believers in particular in this city that we come in contact with, that they see our character, that they see our integrity, that they see that we can be trusted. We are trustworthy. And in so doing, they see that as a reflection of you. They see that as something that they long for. Help us not to have pride in that, but instead steer, steer these unbelievers to you. 
so that they too may know you and be in relationship with you. So I lift these things up in Jesus' name. that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, was with his followers, his disciples. They were eating a meal together. And he took the bread, very a staple at any Jewish Passover feast. broke it and he said this is my body broken for you eat this in remembrance of me he also took the cup and he said this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin drink this in remembrance of me it's interesting that he made this the focal point of the church not just the not the Songs or the singing time or the, the sermon, as important and as wonderful as those things are, or even Sunday morning programming or any of that, those things are great. But the heart of the church is around these elements that remind us of his love for us. It's interesting, why was Jesus able to do the things that he did before the cross? Like, for example, forgive sin. He hadn't died yet, and yet he was going around saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. How could he pull that off if he hadn't died for the sins of the world yet? It's because he, he in my opinion, it's because he said he would, he, when he was baptized, he accepted the mission of dying, on, of dying for the sins of the world. And his word is so good and so true, it's as good as done. That even the cross could kind of retro back. Because his word is yes is yes. His no is no. And Peter says all the promises of God are in him are yes. It's all because of this cross. It's all because of what he did on the cross and redeeming us. And from that flows our own faithfulness. And we can trust him and we can trust each other because what he said would happen, happened. Against all odds, he showed up So as we take communion, as we come together, think about his faithfulness to you and doing what he said, that he would live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died so we can be transformed.